0: Welcome to Harvest Talk, the podcast of Harvest Community Church in Goshen, Indiana. Harvest is a community church with the vision to change the world, and we do that by reaching people and building their lives. For more on Harvest Community Church, please check out our website, hccgoshen.org. And as always, thank you for uh, spending some time with me today. I'm Pastor Jeremy. It's just an honor to be hanging out with you, and uh, we are continuing on with our podcast <clears throat> uh, looking at our series, Social Media Integrity. I and kind of talking about the issues of how to respond to social media uh, this day and age, and obviously, so much just even over the course of these last seven eight weeks that we've been doing this series has shifted. Uh, You know, there's increasing uh, criticism of uh, the Facebook companies. Uh, There's a new, uh, you know, they just announced a new platform uh, or name Meta, and uh, all kinds of things just coming out there. And you know, I started this series. Um, you know, let's see. It's been this is my sixth podcast so seven weeks ago. Uh, basically, saying you know, there's three takeaways I really want you to to consider. The first one is obviously um, if you've got teenagers on social media, get them off right away. Um, it could be uh, saving their lives if you do that. Uh, number two, if you have kids and teenagers that are approaching the age in which social media is popular, don't let them get on it. Uh, just uh, just avoid that. And then last of all, I've been talking about how if social media is your primary source of news and information, that you need to stop back, uh, stop, take a step back, dilute it a little bit. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about how the algorithms within the social media world are creating an increased uh, atmosphere of hostility, an increased atmosphere of tribalism as well as an increased uh, atmosphere where misinformation can spread and flow and what that is actually doing to us as, as people and our communities. And so we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be kind of coming back uh, to that um, uh, today. And today I want to look at just being people of the truth on social media. What what does it look like to be people of the truth? Before I jump in, just uh, real quick about where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. Um, first of all, I... Th- this week and next week, uh, well, next week I'll wrap up our series. I'm going to give some practical uh, how-tos um, on how... Um how we, can, how we can handle some of these challenges with social media. Then I'm gonna take about a two week break, uh, the Wednesday of Thanksgiving, and then the week after Thanksgiving, um, I'm gonna be taking a break from the podcast. I'll come back, uh, do two or three podcasts in December, some type of Christmas theme. I haven't quite figured out what I'm gonna do there. I'll take another short break um, coming out of Christmas into the new year, and then uh, sometime in January, we will launch um, another, another season, if you will. Of our Harvest Talk podcast. So that's just kind of where we're going uh, going forward. So yeah, today I want to talk about how to be people of the truth on social media. And in uh, the next week, I'm going to give some simple solutions uh, to uh, to how we can work this out, and even some solutions for you, but also some solution, uh, solutions perhaps even for the industry. Not that anybody's listening, but uh, just some thoughts I've got. Um, but before I do that, I want to revisit the topic I ended the last session on, <clears throat> which is basically the idea of tribalism. And because that's really where so much of the traps come in, it's, it's social media feeds this tribalism thing, and then the tribalisms become more defined, and then that creates the atmosphere where we move away from the truth and more to loyalty uh, to our tribe. And, uh, you know, so again, what I, where I ended last time was talking about the difference between perspective, tribalism, and then what I would even call uh, fanaticism. And kind of recap, <coughs> excuse me, um, like I've told people on this podcast before, and I'll spend a lot of time this week and next week talking uh, from this perspective, um, just because I've, I think most of my audience is this, is that I lean conservative, philosophically, politically. Okay, I've got a bunch of reasons why that is. Um, but that's just kind of my my political leanings, okay? And I'm very comfortable saying that I, I lean conservative. Now, I, I'm not as comfortable going, I am a conservative. And and the reason that is is because the, mo- the moment you start to adopt a title, uh, you start to identify with a tribe. And so for me, I have a conservative perspective. And so when I evaluate most things in our politics, most things in our society, um, it, 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 there's an amalgamation of biblical perspective and conservative philosophy that's in my thinking. But then what I try to do is I try to use that as a perspective and not a doctrine. If you will, my biblical theology is obviously a doctrine. My my perspective is hopefully tied to doctrine. My conservative philosophy or perspective is hopefully just a, a philosophy and perspective. Why? Because I've got liberal friends who have a liberal perspective. And uh, when we sit down and talk, um, when we're, when we're doing it the right way, when we are open to seeking the truth, when we are open to talking and discussing difficult issues in a timely manner, usually what that allows for is a great deal of discussion. And honestly, a lot of times there's a decent amount of agreement. Um, and that's because we have a perspective versus a title. When you start to say, I am a conservative, then you start to identify with a tribe. And and what the tribe eventually moves you towards is this idea that we are right, the other team is wrong, uh, and then eventually the the slippery slope leads you to you have to win and win at all cost, and that's where you move into a kind of a radical fanaticism, if you will. Um, my favorite way to describe fanaticism is actually with sports uh, because it's just so blatantly obvious. Um, you know when I'm when I'm watching uh, when I'm watching two teams play a sport, and maybe I just enjoy the sport, so I'm watching two teams, I don't really care about that much, but I'm just watching it because I enjoy the sport. When there's a controversial call um, by a referee or an umpire or something like that, I can actually, because I don't have anything invested in the teams, I can actually take a fairly objective viewpoint on that. Uh, I can go, you know, things like, uh, you know what the the call was probably incorrect, but there's not enough data on the replay to re- overturn it, or blah blah blah. You know those kinds of things. I, I can be very even handed about my perspective because I'm objective. I don't have a vested interest in the team, if you will. I'm not a fan, but when it's my team, and 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 I am a fan, and I want my team to win, uh, and then there's a controversial call. Not only do I believe they any call against my team did they get wrong, but usually it's very easy for me to jump into it's a conspiracy to hold us down. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a North Carolina State alumni, so I'm a North Carolina State fan. Uh, NC State hasn't won anything of significance really uh, since the 1980s, and every NC State fan's got a great conspiracy theory about why the University of North Carolina and Duke win everything and NC State doesn't, and so. Controversial call comes in, and it goes against us. It's not just, boy, that ref blew it. It's, see, this is part of the conspiracy theory to keep our university down. Why can I see, essentially, a same controversial call between two teams that I have no vested interest in, walk away objective, versus my own team, I can't do the same thing? It's because my loyalty to my team is more important than the loyalty to the truth. I want my team, I want NC State to win, more than I want the truth to come out. And and in sports, in most cases, that's relatively harmless. There are a few places where that is is not so. Um, But when you start to move it into the realm of relationships, politics, and those kind of things, when you start to move into that fanaticism, I want my team to win. I want the other team to lose. I do not care about the truth. It does some devastating things. First of all, it erodes truth, your ability to understand truth in general. Number two, it erodes confidence in the society. Uh, number three, it leads to illegal activities so that your team can win. Uh, it leads to propagating lies so your team can win. <clears throat> and that's the devastating thing about tribalism. Tribalism is loyalty to a tribe. It's all about winning. Winning is more important than the truth. It doesn't matter unless you win. And then you move into this realm of the ends justify the means. Because it's about the tribe, it's not about truth. And what I said last week, or last podcast, was I do not care how closely you think your tribe's philosophical lines are with Scripture, how much they line up with Scripture. The moment you move your loyalty away from the truth of Scripture and into the tribe, that tribe will eventually drag you to a dangerous place. So the moment you sit there and you go, you know what? Yeah, there's some agreement between this tribe and, and, and Scripture. And I believe there's a lot of agreement in between, maybe you believe there's a lot of agreement between your tribe and Scripture. But even in that case, the moment you give your loyalty to the tribe over the truth of Scripture, sooner or later that tribe is going to drag you into a dangerous place. And why is that? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, This is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 32. He says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, um, Jesus says all loyalty goes to him, that he's the number one center of our loyalty. Why can he get away with that? Why is that not tribalism, Jeremy? Well, quite frankly, because Jesus is the truth. And so when you seek out truth, sooner or later it is going to point you into the direction of Jesus. But but all loyalty is to him and his purposes and his callings and his plans for the world. And anything that doesn't line up with that and then ask for your loyalty is going to drag you the other direction. And so Jesus isn't asking you to be loyal to a party, a philosophy, a political system, a theology. He's telling you to be loyal to him. And and when you move away from him and his commands, you set yourself up for danger. And uh, And listen, this is happening in our church today that people are, are are becoming more and more loyal to a version of an Americanized Jesus uh, than, than they are to the actual truth in the Jesus of Scriptures. And, and, and I'm going to say this, and again, this is where I, I'm assuming that a good portion of my audience leans conservative, so I'm going to talk directly to conservatives for just a moment. Tribalism is going to turn on conservative Christians from both directions before too long. I know there's a lot of us out there uh, we're deeply concerned about um, kind of where some of the more radical liberal philosophies are taking uh, culture, and I think those concerns are absolutely valid. Um, and when you're looking at someone of a different um, of a different point of view, it's much easier to see the pitfalls. And so, conservatives who are Christians um, have been pointing out that liberals have been much more rapid to embrace relativism that relativism has has started to move to a place where there there's difficulty in seeing principles in what they do and or what people do and believe and so oftentimes uh there's this idea that liberals just want to win and liberals don't have so having core philosophies liberals aren't principled liberals aren't looking at the truth because they've embraced the philosophy of relativism and, uh, and honestly, some of that I absolutely believe is the case. Uh, but then the mindset is, therefore, we as conservatives must defeat them at all costs uh, because we, we, we believe the truth. The problem is, is really over the last decade, conservative camps are moving in the direction of tribalism. And so it's becoming way more about a loyalty to a tribe and defeating uh, the liberals instead of the principles of of conservatism. And 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 that's what I, I see happening at a distance. And you might be sitting out there as a conservative going, you can't prove that, and okay, maybe, but if you want, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to point out a couple of places where I think uh, the modern-day uh, power structures of the conservative movements um, actually are... Um, wishy-washy on long-standing conservative cores. Why is because, well, a couple of reasons. One, the, our entire society has embraced relativism, okay? It's not just a liberal thing. Our entire society's been embracing it either pragmatically or philosophically for a long time. Uh, and then number two, uh, everybody wants power, so you you ultimately align yourself with the team to win. And I've been seeing this happen in, in that Interesting connection between Christians who are conservatives for about 12 years now where I've started to see this this pulling of uh, conservative tribes in places that cut across some very important things in Scripture and I've been telling some people for a while um, that sooner or later if we're not careful if we don't stand on the truth of Scripture in the commands of Jesus, there are going to be conservative tribes that start to compete with what the Bible actually teaches, and then they're going to demand our loyalty. Um, one example of this is there's a you know popular commentator out there by the name of Glenn Glenn Beck, um, you know conservative guy. Uh, I've I've listened to some of his stuff every once in a while. Things will pop up on my news feed, and, and maybe I'll listen to five minutes or something, and. And, uh, yeah, as a conservative, there's some places where maybe there's some connection. But I'll never forget, it was probably about 12 years ago when he was just kind of coming into this um, high-level popularity. And he, on one of his shows, he basically told people, listen, you need to go to your church's website. And if your church has the phrase social justice or social community or... Uh, some of these social, fill in the blank, um, social economics on the website, you need to figure it out and you need to to talk, you know, he he had something. And the other guy that was producing the show kind of said, wait, are you you saying people should leave their congregations? You're not saying that, right? And and he's honestly wishy-washy. If you listen to it, he really was kind of implying that if your church used the phrase social justice, you should leave the church. Well, He never defined social justice in that comment, and um, back then everyone was blogging, so I had a blog, and I wrote a blog, and I pointed out every place on the church that I worked for's website in which the phrase social justice was used, and I said, listen, if you're talking about social justice in terms of creating political and economic and governmental systems that force a type of equality that could end up oppressing people, uh, you know. You know, the, the worst cases of socialism and, and communism. Then, yeah, no, like I, the, the, our churches don't stand for that. Okay, but if you're talking about social justice, where you are identifying places in society where there's injustice among social structures, there's a lot of places where the Bible lines up with that. Um, Bible is is very favorable to uh, the cause of the unborn. The Bible is very favorable to places where women are not um, treated with dignity. The Bible is very favorable in how we treat the poor and the destitute and the orphan, the sick, the people at the end of their life. Uh, the Bible is very favorable to issues like providing uh, clean drinking water. The Bible is very favorable uh, to uh, the dignity of work and installing, uh, helping people understand the power of, uh, and, and redemptive power of working. Um, you know, like the Bible is very powerful to the dignity of the immigrant and and, and 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 those impoverished. Like these are core tenets. I mean, when Paul goes to James and Peter and gives him the core essence of the theology of grace they both look back at him extend the hand of fellowship and then it says do not forget the poor like there's no place in scripture where you rip social justice issues like those where there's where there's injustice among social structures or social organizations of society there's no place in scripture where you can rip that apart from the gospel it's not an embrace of totalitarianism or communism or socialism is not an embrace of that at all. I don't, you know, but it's an okay term to use to describe those issues, especially since our culture uses that term to describe those issues. And so what you see here all of a sudden is a conservative commentator drawing a definition line between something that is comfortably biblically and really shouldn't be comfortably it's just comfortably biblical and not even that controversial in a tribe. And eventually, it starts to pull you away. And 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 I'm, so I've been seeing it since 2009, actually before then. And now it's starting to get that place. It's it's, it's come much more defined over time, where all of a sudden now, just good centric Bible believing, uh, standing on the truth, churches are now being attacked from the left and the right, because it violates the tribe. Listen, churches that love Jesus, sooner or later, when you stand on the truth of Scripture, the Scripture is going to offend everybody. It's going to offend everybody. And so sooner or later, it's going to offend a conservative tribe. And so again, once the you put your loyalty into a tribe over the truth of Scripture, that tribe is going to drag you to an unhealthy place. And I've told this to some of my conservative friends, and they always look back at me like, no, Jeremy, you're wrong uh, these 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 party platforms, these con- principles, blah blah blah, they line up with scripture It's never going to change. And I'm telling you it is this is this I just want to I just want to show you some examples. Um, this is a tweet from a very prominent evangelical uh, uh, leader in uh, in in America. And she writes, a guy memorizing Philippians 2, 1 through 18 with us told me he was getting so much from it that he read it to a group recently, got called a liberal. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of folks putting a check mark in the Christian square are completely out of touch with the uh, actual Jesus of Scripture. And, and so what does Philippians 2, 1 through 8 say? It says, listen, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of one accord, one mind. Notice this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that was above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do, uh, to work his good pleasure Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and uh, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. Hold fast to the word of life to the day that Christ and in the day of Christ that I may be uh, uh, proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even I am being poured out as a drink offering upon uh, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad to rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad to rejoice with me. Okay, this is one of the most central doctr- uh, passages of Scripture to describe the mission and purposes of Christ. What's so offensive here to a conservative mindset? Well, right now, uh, the idea of being um, not seeking selfish ambition, the idea of... Uh, emptying yourself, the idea of taking on the form of a slave, the idea of laying down your rights, <clears throat> the idea of um, all of those things. The idea of humility itself. Don't grumble. Don't complain. All those ideas right now are, are highly offensive ideas to certain conservative tribes. They're, 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 they're offensive to certain liberal tribes as well, but Evangelicals are used to being attacked by liberal tribes, if you will. But that's what's happened. There's a pull towards certain tribes on on, on both sides of the aisle that are now both looking at Scripture going, you're a liberal if you believe this. You're like, oh, that's one example. Okay, well, here's another prominent Christian leader. Um, Whoops, that's not the one I want to read right here. A uh, pastor told me he cited the passage, turned the other cheek, and dealt with an outraged guy asking him why he was spouting liberal propaganda. Another very prominent, that's a prominent evangelical leader, okay? Turn the other cheek, are out of the words of Jesus. And why is that so offensive? Well, it implies that we actually might have to lay down our personal rights when we're offended from time to time and they're being and the pastors being attacked as a liberal for quoting the words of Jesus. Again, it's a loyalty to a tribe. It's not a loyalty to scripture. Uh, another guy uh, responding to some of these leaders said this. I had a guy leave our church a couple of years ago at the end of a sermon series. He told me he had to go because we didn't agree on politics. And all I hear from you, quote, all I hear from you is communist propaganda. He told other members I was too liberal. The sermon series was the Sermon on the Mount. Words of Jesus. Now I don't know how the guy handled it, but what are offensive in the words of Jesus towards some conservative tribes right now? Uh, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when you are when you suffer. Uh, uh, turn the other cheek. Um, you know, forgive one another. <laughs> Again, these are tribes that are telling you to do things that are contrary to the Scripture, and people are now preaching general Scripture, and, and people are starting to be called liberals for teaching Scripture. One last one. <clears throat> a couple running a ministry I, that I've... Financially supported for years, has been openly defying COVID mandates. They said, "Don't throw Romans 13 at us." It was written by a guy who was executed uh, for not following government rules. Okay, and that one boggles my mind. I, I want to throw something reading that one. Okay, you know, in other words, Romans 13 is where Paul commands us to cooperate and be obedient to honor government officials. And uh, and and then this couple saying, "See that." passage of Scripture doesn't matter anymore because Paul was executed by the Roman government uh, for for breaking the law. And so therefore, Paul must have changed his mind. And so how he died, which is not in Scripture, by the way, uh, is more important than what he writes in Scripture, by the way. Well, there's just all kinds of problems with this, okay? Uh, First of all, Um, we have what Paul wrote as scripture. We do not have how Paul died as scripture. That's just number one, okay? Um, There are a lot of people in scripture that wrote scripture that did not end the life faithfully. Solomon, number one, wrote two books of the Bible. Uh, His lifestyle did not match up to even the wisdom that we share inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, Samson didn't end well. Gideon didn't end well, you know, we, we, we see this just because a guy dies in an apparent contradiction to what was recorded by him in Scripture does not mean that his actions overrule what the Holy Spirit inspired. That's just... I'll just stop there. The second problem is this, is there are two places I believe that it's okay to violate government command. Number one, when they tell you to violate Scripture. And then number two, when they prevent you from doing something that is clearly scriptural, okay? Paul says, listen, we obey, we honor. He did that. Not only did he voluntarily obey and honor Roman government, he, he at times voluntarily honored a Jewish law for the sake of the gospel. And then, um, and then he met a crossroads where the Roman government said, you have to declare Caesar to be God. And he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can, I can do all, and, and honestly, for the next 300 years, that was the history of the, Rome, of the Roman church, uh, Christian church. Christians were writing Caesars in Rome, asking them to stop persecution, and their argument was, we are the best citizens. We pay our taxes on time. We care for your people better. We serve better. We do things better. The only thing we can't do is declare Caesar to be God. And the, and the Roman government said, I'm sorry, you, you've got to declare us God, and so they were executed. But everywhere else, they honored and obeyed government. Why is that one deal? Because that is the one place where God takes precedent, and so this doesn't make any any difference. And yet, because this couple belongs to a tribe, it's happening, and it's going to continue to happen. And then this sets up misinformation. Um, You know, once you're into a tribe, you want to perpetuate your tribe, so you're more likely to perpetuate falsehood. and listen, I firmly believe that if something doesn't change, we're going to see a max exodus from the church. And here's the deal. We're not going to see a max exodus because the, uh, from the church because there's a trend towards liberal philosophy and thinking, and they're going to look back at conservatives and go, you're just a bunch of Bible-toting radical Republicans. Like, that's not why people are going to leave the church. What will happen is that because we're not standing on the truth of Scripture, and if we don't stand on the truth of Scripture, people are going to become more and more tribal. There's going to be a generation that rises up and goes, you're not actually teaching us truth. You're not teaching us Jesus. You're just like every other tribe, and I want something different. And they'll get disenfranchised with the truth because all they see is is tribalisms with religious garb. And that's why we have to be people of the truth. So how do we do that? Well, a couple of things we can do. Number one is study the truth. Study the truth. Uh, script, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we study the scr- the truth. All right? And where Scripture disagrees with your tribe, for example, there are places where we need to lay down individual rights for the love of our brother, okay? Like that is a scriptural thing. Does that mean we can never stand up or raise questions? No, it doesn't. But it, there are, the, 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 the beauty of the gospel is a God who laid down his rights to save us. And so are there are places where Scripture disagrees with our tribe. Our tribe loses every time. Scripture in Jesus always comes first period Paul continues I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort with complete patience and teaching for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I want you to notice a couple of things that are attached to good biblical preaching and good biblical truth. Uh, number one, it's always Bible-based. It points back to the truth of Scripture. It's not, is not. let me use Scripture to reinforce something. It's start with the Scripture, and what does it take us? The second, uh, the second is that... Um, it goes against a lot of popular wisdom of the day. It goes against a lot of popular wisdom of the day. Some of the things that are there is is the Bible is, is so, so a couple you know another thing is a question that to ask is, is the Bible shaping your agenda or is the agenda shaping your Bible? And then the last one is evangelism is at the core. Always do the work of evangelism. It's about saving lost people then it, it it starts there. It's about saving lost people and helping them see where they've gone wrong. Number two, research and follow people and sources of truth. Proverbs says this, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines them. And so are the sources you follow tribalist or truth seekers? Are they tribalist or are they truth seekers? Their case may seem right, but have you examined it? Let me just ask a real simple question. When your news source makes a wrong prediction, or makes a prediction, how often are they wrong? I mean, I remember some real doomsday scenarios back in January. And and, and I mean, like, power grids going out, and you know, all this kind of stuff, and people predicting these really crazy things. They didn't happen. So what did you do about the sources where you got that information? Uh, you know, because here's the deal. If they're consistently getting things wrong over time, and especially if they're not going back and correcting themselves and saying they got it wrong, stop listening to them. I, I've got a, a a doctor that I listen to fairly, fairly regularly online. He's been very helpful in helping to navigate some of the science behind COVID. Um, good guy. Um, you know, he's not, he, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, he he, called, he jokingly calls himself alt-center, um, but he try he re, he does wrestle with the science and he does wrestle with the issues that people are struggling with right now in understanding the science. Uh, but there's been a couple of predictions he's come out and made, and he's gotten them dead wrong. And he gets back on his, his podcast and he goes, you know what, I got it wrong. And usually he'll go, this is why I think I got it wrong. Okay, I'll listen to that guy. I might not agree with him all the time, but I'll listen to that guy. But I've stopped listening to some news sources because they boldly predicted things or they tried to predict things, and then when it was done, they either ignored the fact they got it wrong or they made up a bunch of excuses that didn't exist for why they got it wrong. If your news sources are getting things wrong, stop listening to them. Number three, be careful who, how, and where you criticize people. You know, Social media is a terrible form for debate and criticism. Uh, Here at staff, we have a policy that we do for social media and email. Um, Number one, we only use it for information and encouragement. Number two is we don't criticize or correct over email or over social media. Number three, when in doubt, wait 24 hours. And listen, these things will save you a lot of problems. When in doubt, wait 24 hours. Only encourage, only give information, don't correct or criticize. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there, well, Jeremy, what about heretics? What about false teaching? What about my, the other side gets away with it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get that, okay? But... And yes, there are places where we have to correct falsehood, we have to correct heresy, we have to correct those things. But here's an interesting bit of wisdom. There's two places in the gospel in the in the in the New Testament where church leaders call out people of heresy, and it's interesting. Here's what John writes: I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if he comes, I will bring up what. If I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome his brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Then in Paul, For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will pay them according to their deeds. Beware of him yourself. He strongly opposes our message. That's it. That's all the criticism of heretics and divisive people in the Bible, in, 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 in the epistles. And notice what it is it's a firm warning. The people are named. There's a limited personal attack. And they said they'll come and, and fill you in later in a more private setting. I think those are great principles for how we do things online. Firm warning, name if necessary, limited attack. And I would only use, the, I would very rarely use a name. But only do the full explanations in person. Do our posts and our articles and and the things we post reflect that? Number th- number uh, f- next uh, number four. Love people in spite of their political opinion. Love people in spite of their political opinion. Paul talks about talks to us as family. He says, "As for as many of you who were baptized into Christ, were put on have put on Christ." There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if, our Christ, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs of the, according to the promise. In other words, Jesus says once we come into the family, we're all in the family, and there are no more real dividing lines anymore. And he goes through on Jew and Greek, that's racial, but it's also political. Slave, free, oppressive, non-oppressive. Male, female, gender stereotypes, gender divisions, you're all one. Like all the things that divide us, we become one in a family. And so, yeah, people have different political opinions. If they're following Jesus, they're part of the family. We need to love them. Jesus lived this example out. Simon the Zealot would have been a radical right-wing person of his day. Uh. Matthew, the tax collector, radical left-wing person of his day. They both followed Jesus. They both worked together. They both lived with each other. In fact, there would have been members of the Zealot Party that probably would have attempted to kill tax collectors. That's how divisive, potentially, Jesus' group of disciples were. And yet, he brought them together. Why? Because he's the difference maker. Next, listen before you speak. James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. When you see something on social media... Be fast to listen, slow to respond to it. It's amazing what you do when you take a few moments to listen. Back when um, some of the race things were at uh, high, uh, high, I spent about an hour and a half listening to a conversation between two prominent Christian women, one of who is a African American who's got several degrees in theology, but also in trauma. And listening to her in a very honoring but straightforward way talk about the trauma of the African-American community in the area of race, race riots, uh, uh, dealing with the police and that kind of stuff, it, again, it didn't, it didn't necessarily change some things that I be- believe or some, some things that I think are good solutions, but it helped me understand that there's a different way of seeing the world in certain communities. And it's so much better to listen to that than to spout off Because you're angry about something. That brings us to the next one. Listen before you become angry. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Are you listening to people that you're called to love, or are you getting angry? And here's the thing you need. In fact, this just came out uh, two weeks ago. Social media profits off of outrage. Facebook allegedly had an algorithm where the angry emoji had a higher rating than the like emoji, and so they're tracking what you get angry about so they can feed you more anger. That outrage does not produce the righteousness of God. Are you listening before you get angry? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit before you spout off something on social media, before you attack a friend on social media? Before you attack a friend on social media by saying things to them, you would never say to them in person because you don't have to look at their face in horror when the things that you write come out of your mouth towards them. Are you following the righteousness of God? Social media thrives on outrage, and right now outrage is America's favorite sin. Are you following the Holy Spirit there? Last one, but certainly not the least, think about the lost person. It's okay before you post something to think about what a lost person or an unbeliever would think about your statement. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 16, 23 and 24, Paul is describing worship services. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in worship services And in two two locations. He asked them to alter their worship service for the sake of the outsider who might be among them. And I would humbly submit to you that if the... the Apostle Paul is asking people to consider the expression of the power of the Spirit for the sake of the outsider. It's okay to think of your social media feed for the sake of the outsider, for the sake of the, the lost person. Paul, in another place, talks about him dealing with controversy. He says this, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And so, yeah, before you post, i got a question. What, do, what would an unbeliever see of your post? Do they see a person of faith and love speaking truth seasoned with salt? Are you speaking truth in a way that invites people to come and explore it? Or are they looking at someone that looks just like every other tribal person on social media, they just happen to be wearing a Jesus shirt? And what are we? Listen, I know these can be hard things to think about and uncomfortable things to think about, scary things to think about in our current society. But I have to believe that what has remained faithful over time, His Word, is unshakable. So let's become people of this. Let's put our loyalty here. Let's put our trust here. Let's walk here. And let's, with humility, and power, and truth, and the anointing of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, move forward in our social media lives. And that's where we're going to leave it today. Next week, I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about some practical applications Let me pray for us. Lord, I just thank you so much that you are a God of truth and that you empower us. Lord, that we are called for our loyalty and citizenship to be in heaven. We are called to think differently and act differently and respond differently. And so, Lord, I just pray that your people would do so. Lord, we we will never compromise your truth. And, Lord, we are called to declare that in uncomfortable places and at times. But, Lord, may we do it based on your truth and not a tribe. And so, Lord, I just pray for that. In your name, amen. Well, hey, listen, thank you again uh, for joining me on Harvest Talk. And as always, until next time, keep reaching people and building their lives. Take care.